A day of celebration. Before we get going too far, I want to take a moment and celebrate last Sunday. We called it Celebration Sunday. Every Sunday celebration. Amen? But last Sunday was more than a day of celebration. It was a day of destination. We have this impossible campaign going where we're trying to do impossible things. Launch a Crossroads campus next year. Finish launching Independence Campus this year. Launch an online campus we asked God last Sunday for a $2 million offering to start renovating the Crossroads buildings, finish renovating Independence, start building infrastructure on the online campus. And God, through you, brought more than $2.1 million. Let the work begin. I am so thankful for your generosity, church. And I just want to remind you of something. A lot of us gave, thousands gave. And we're not doing it to renovate buildings, though we're going to be renovating buildings, a former warehouse to become a church house. But we're doing it for the renovation, the redemption of the souls of men and women that's going to last forever, for eternity. That's why we do what we do. And that's the call of God upon our church. And so I just want to say thank you. We're going to be full and blown uh, steam ahead for renovating those buildings and getting ready to launch Abundant Life Crossroads. Um, this is Mother's Day, a special day. And I'm uh, not lost on me that it's also a hard day, a sad day for a lot of people here for various reasons. This is my third Mother's Day without my mom. And maybe that's you. You miss your mother. She's in heaven. And I've been praying for you. I know for a lot of women, Mother's Day is hard because you long to be a mom and you've tried to be a mom and you wish God would let you be a mom. And I've been praying for you. Uh, for some of us that are single in this place, it's just kind of hard. And so I just want you to know that God sees you. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he loves you very deeply. And I've been praying for you, and I'm praying God's grace would be more than sufficient for you, that you trust God's plan for you. It's perfect, as he loves you so very, very, very much. I'm going to talk today about my wife, not behind her back, right in front of her. Uh, I have a very special woman I'm married to on Mother's Day, and a lot of you may not know how special she is. A lot of you know her, and she's special, but I bet you don't know what I know. I, I know that yesterday, she paddled me around the pond while I was fishing. What kind of woman does that? I mean, she's motoring back there, never complained one time, and then by the end of the day, she's changing a broken doorknob in the house. I mean, what a woman. I should have been doing that. Uh, but you didn't know the hidden talents that she has. I guarantee you didn't know because we're all a little different behind closed doors. And last year when we were quarantined for COVID and we're all kind of hunkering down in the house, you know, you, you figure out a way to pass the time. So my youngest son, Josh, taught my wife how to rap Eminem. Knees weak, his arms are heavy. Vomit, he's got a vomit on his sweater already. Palm spaghetti. Okay, I got to do it again. What do you think, huh? She's still working on it. She's got some work to do, but she's still working on it. Church, I'm going to do something that I haven't done in 21 years of Mother's Days since I've been pastoring our church. 21 years of Mother's Days have come and gone. And I've talked about my wife over the years, but I have never publicly honored my wife on a Mother's Day, and I'm going to right now. Krista, would you stand, please, because I want to publicly honor you I am so thankful for you, for being the mother of my children, a virtuous 
and godly wife. Thank you for letting me do that. You may be seated. And I tell you that because, listen, we almost had a marital, we had more than a marital fuss. We almost had a marital fight. I'm talking a marital fallout over this. She didn't want me to do this. I mean, honestly, she did not want me to do this, and um, it was a little bit of a fuss this week. I almost just abandoned the whole idea, but you can see I persevered. You know why? Because she wants God to get all the glory. She's like, Phil, I don't want you to praise me. I want God to get all the glory. And so um, God gets all the glory, but today he gets it through you. Amen? It's called Mother's Day for a reason. And Proverbs 31 is where I want to preach from today. If you have a copy of God's Word, Proverbs 31 gives us God's template, God's desire, God's design for all women, not just mothers, but all women. And this is why I want to honor my wife today in a way that I never had before. She's a private person, and she doesn't like a lot of attention. She likes to serve kind of behind the scenes, and, you know, I'm loud, and she's not, and you know, I'm easy to see and she's not. And other times, you know, she's kind of, it's easy to overlook her and it's kind of easy to under, kind of estimate her. And I want you to know, Krista, you are one of the smartest, most competent, capable, wise people I've ever known. But what I love about you most is your virtue. And this is what it says in Proverbs 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. And what the writer of this proverb is teaching even 3,000 years ago is that a virtuous, godly wife is very, very rare. She's a precious, precious thing. Her price is far above rubies. In the ancient days like today, rubies were very priceless. They were very, very expensive. Why? Because rubies aren't just laying around the ground everywhere. You got to work for them. You got to search for them. You got to mine them. There are lots and lots of work. They're buried deep beneath the surface. That's why even today, they're a rare gem. Uh, And what Solomon here is saying, and I'm convinced Solomon probably is the one that authored this proverb. It's King Lemuel up front. King Lemuel is probably uh, a pet name of Solomon assigned to him by his mother. That name means devoted to God. We don't know with certainty, but probably it's Solomon. And what he's teaching here is that if you have a godly wife, if you have a godly mother, you better treat her with care. She is priceless. Her price is far above rubies. Why? Because it is so rare. And I'm convinced it's even more rare. We live at a time where having a virtuous godly mother or a godly wife is increasingly rare. Price far above rubies. You know why? Because there's always what God says, and then there's always what the world says. And I know that we live at a time where it's getting harder and harder to be a godly people. It's harder and harder to be a godly woman. You know why, dear sister? Because the world is telling you lies. The world is telling you what it takes to be a real woman, and it's lying to you. And there's always what God says, and there's always what the world says. And I want you to see today, out of Proverbs 31, what God says it means to be a real woman. And when you read Proverbs 31, what we discover is God's definition, God's design for what it means to be a real woman. Something like a real woman pursues a life that is godly, puts on the beauty of virtue and humility, answers her God-given calling to love and nurture her family, and lives life in view of eternity. That is a real woman. Now, I'm telling you this because today, if you listen to the world, it'll tell you, lady, to be a real woman, you got to be a better man than a man. Yeah, to be a real woman, you got to outcompete a man and be a better man than a man. And you know what God says? No, 
I made you a lady. I made you a woman. You don't have to be a better man than a man. You just have to be who I made you to be, and that means be a woman. Be the woman I have made you to be. That's what it means to be a real woman. This is what I love about my wife. Listen, Krista and I got married 30 years ago this October the 5th. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It's still hard to believe. Somebody in between services said, well, that just means you're getting old. Okay, be careful. It'll happen to you too. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Don't blink. It goes faster than you think. But the good news is neither of us today are the people we married. I'm not the same man today that she married. She's not the same woman today that I married. We have changed. You know why we changed? Because there was a time we decided we're going to listen to the word and not listen to the world. It's not going very good out there. Have you noticed? It's not, you know, families are more stressed than ever. Marriage is more stressed than ever. More confusion and chaos out there than ever. I think we ought to still consult the manufacturer. The one that created us and the one that made us still knows what is best for us. And we made this decision a long time ago. Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, every single day, the world's trying to conform you and mold you into their image. And every single day, God wants to take you and conform you and mold you into his image. So who will you listen to? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'm going to tell you something. There's some stuff in Proverbs 31 that goes completely contrary to everything they're saying out there. So ladies, who will you listen to? The one that made you, created you, and loves you, or what everybody else says is true. See, this is what I love about my wife. Many years ago, she became a woman of the word. I mean, every single morning, she is in the word. She's probably in the word more than even Pastor Phil, and I'm in the word, and I'm in the word a lot. But you see, she became a woman of the word, and she wasn't just reading the word as an intellectual pursuit, but rather it was conforming her and transforming her. And that's what's been going on for the last 30 years. Be not conformed to the world. I'm just going to be up front with you. When you come here, you're going to get the word. We're going to study the word. We're not going to back up from the word. God's word is still true, and it's true for you. And there's some virtues that God wants you to embody as a virtuous wife, as a godly wife. And why am I doing this today? For the first time in 30 years of marriage, for the first time in 21 years of pastoring, I want to publicly recognize my wife for being a virtuous wife. This chapter ends this way in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And later today, we're all gathering at my house and her children are gonna rise up and hopefully bless their mother. But today, I wanna fulfill this part of this verse. Her husband also, he praises her. And Krista, I know you don't want any praise and your life is about bringing praise and honor to the God that made us and saved us. But you embody this chapter and you have preached this sermon. Listen, my wife will never preach a sermon with her lips, but she's done it every single day of marriage with her life. This is her sermon today. She's lived it. And I don't want to in any way lead you to believe that she's the perfect woman. There's no such thing. 
I don't want to lead you to believe that I'm like the perfect man. There is no such thing. We don't have the perfect home. We don't have the perfect marriage. We don't have the perfect family. There is no such thing. I don't want to in any way misrepresent her or me. So we're just going to keep it real. We're not perfect. Crystal, let's keep it real. Let's be honest. You do get cranky when you're tired. (laughs) Really cranky. But she didn't get there by herself. Because when I get tired, I get slap happy. It's a horrible combination. (laughs) Terrible combination. I'm telling you, in marriage, sometimes the godliest thing you can do is just go to bed. (laughs) Turn off the lights, go to sleep, all right? Everything will be better the next day. I'm just telling you. No, we're not perfect. We brought dysfunction into our marriage. You know, dysfunction is a modern word for disobedience. All right, it's a modern word for sin. Uh, We had brought a sinful past and sinful patterns into our marriage that persisted into our marriage long after we said, I do. There's some things we had to get past to become what we are today. And I'm trying to tell you, if you want to be happily married 30 years later, 50 years later, you can't stay the people you are. You've got to decide, I'm going to grow to become more like God through the Word of God. I'm not going to listen to the world around me. I'm going to listen instead to the God who made me. And this is the virtuous wife and that man of integrity that's going to live the life God has called us to. And Proverbs 31 gives us the template. Ladies, I want to give you five things today, five virtues today about this virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, all right? The first thing is this. She is devoted to her husband, devoted to her husband. She stood at an altar one day, and she said those words, I do. And she's completely devoted from that moment forward, from that moment she said, I do. Proverbs 31, verse 11, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. This is a man, a husband, that has learned to fully trust his wife. Why? Because she's done him good and no evil all the days of their life. And this is a difficult thing for a man to fully trust his heart to a woman. Yet I can say that from October the 5th, 1991, what are you guys giggling at? Uh, I heard that, I heard that. Okay, some things have changed. I've changed, Krista has stayed exactly the same. Not fair, all right? Women just get prettier, men just get older. Not fair. But I will say that since October the 5th, 1991, Krista, I want to thank you that you've done me good and no evil all the days of our life. Because of that, my heart has learned to trust in you. You did not marry a man with a healthy heart. You didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that at the time. You married a man with a broken heart a heart that had been broken, a heart that was not healthy, because that's the nature of sin. Sin scars the human heart. And I came into that marriage with a sin-scarred heart, and it was not healthy. And because of that, I would not let you fully hold my heart. I did not know then what I know now. But because of that, we had this dysfunctional pattern in our marriage for the first 14 years of marriage. And it was because of an unhealthy heart a broken sense of masculinity that would not let me connect with my wife intimately. You see, I had learned to guard my heart 
Listen, if you're single here today, if you don't learn to guard your heart when you're single, you won't fully be able to give your heart away when you're married. And see, that's what had happened to me. What I had learned through this disobedient form of dating was that I needed to guard my heart. Man, I can't let anybody fully hold my heart. So consequently, there was this dysfunction that persisted for years into our marriage. And you remember what happened in year 14? Our 14th year of marriage is when revival came to our marriage, the Holy Spirit began to fully heal our marriage. And I'm telling you that today because for some of us here, we want to quit too soon. We want to give up and give in and go away. And I'm trying to tell you, for some of us here, Satan wants you to quit too soon. What God might do if you simply choose to let God fully hold your heart. And this is what happened in year 14. God brought revival to our marriage because I finally gave my heart to him to fully hold. And when I gave my heart to God to hold, only then could I give my heart to my wife to hold. And it's when I let Crystal hold my heart that God began to heal it. God healed my heart when I let you hold it. And this is the nature of us all. Do you understand, ladies, that every single man has a mirror? And every single day he's asking this question, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I doing any good at all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, am I man enough at all? Mirror, mirror on the wall, am I strong enough at all? And do you understand, ladies, you are that mirror in that man's life. And because of my own insecurity, when I looked in that mirror, I didn't like what I saw. And I want you to see that eventually we get the spouses that we want in marriage. We get the spouses eventually that speak back to them from that mirror. And Krista, you were that mirror. And I began to really believe that I could be enough, that I was man enough. And that is why this man lets this woman fully hold his heart because she's done him good and no evil all the days of their life. A godly wife brings her husband honor. She lives for his honor, not simply her own honor. See, the world is telling you, ladies, you need to compete with a man. That's what the world says, and God says no. The answer is not in competing, but rather completing. See, that's why God brought us together, not to compete with each other, but in some way complete one another. And Krista, I am thankful that you've never wanted to compete with me. You've never wanted to outdo me. You've been perfectly fine putting me in a position of honor. And this is the Proverbs 31 woman, Proverbs 12 and verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. What is a crown? Listen, when a woman puts a crown, metaphorically, upon her husband, she's saying, I want you to be in a place of honor. Whoever wears the crown receives honor. Whoever wears the crown receives praise. And I'm thankful that you've lived in such a way as to bring me honor. Not honor I deserve, but honor you have freely given. Not only does this woman live for her husband's honor, she lives in some way for her husband's success. You see, this man in Proverbs 31 is not self-made. He's a success, but he did not get there by himself. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Hey, this man has a reputation. 
I mean, he's got a name. He's known abroad when he sits in the gates. And in the ancient days, a man that sat in the gates was in a place of prominence. He was in a place of position. The city gates of an ancient city was like city hall. That is where rulers were governed from. This man has a position. He has prestige. He is widely known. He has a fame. He has a name. But check this out. He is not self-made. His wife helped him get there. Krista, I would not be what I am if you were not what you are. 21 years ago, God called me to leave my career to follow a calling. And I could not have followed my calling and left my career unless you were right there. See, I couldn't have done this. I might not even be here. 21 years ago, I went to bid a cop, I woke up a pastor. I mean, I never could have seen it coming. I never could have seen God's calling. I had a chosen career. And I'm going to tell you guys, had Krista not supported me, had she resisted me, had she said, no, Phil, we can't do this. It doesn't come with a guarantee. It's too dangerous for me. It's too risky. I might not even be here today. I want you to understand I am what I am in some way because you are what you are. Not only a woman of the word, but a woman of great faith. You were willing to take that step of faith to go to a place we'd never been for things we had never seen, to live a faith that is risky. And that's the nature of this Proverbs 31 wife, this woman. But number two is this. She's dedicated to her family. She's devoted to her husband, and she's fully dedicated to her family. I want you to see what it says in verse 13. She seeks, uh, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. This is a hard-working mama. Uh, she is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. How many mothers know about rising while it's still night? When's the last time they got to sleep in? When's the last time they have a full night's sleep? I mean, she knows what it means to get up early and to go to bed late because she's fully dedicated to her family. October the 5th, 1991, she became my wife. September the 10th, 1995, she became the mother of my first son. Krista, it was a hard labor. 18 hours of hard labor is what it took to bring Jake into the world. I was there for all of it. Honestly, you did more work than I did. <laughs> Hard work. Hey guys, if you think there's any doubt about who the tougher of the two sexes are, there is no doubt. Listen, women are tougher than men. By far. It, yeah, thank you. One wise man in the whole place. <laughs> wise husband. You've been married a while, I can tell, all right? That was your moment, man. You came and went, missed it. <laughs> hey, if there's any doubt about this, guys, who's tougher, men or women, go home, take a basketball, and try to shove it through your belly button. <laughs> no doubt about it then. I was there. Women are tougher than men. Hard labor. What we could not have known in this picture when it was taken is that the labor had only just begun. The labor was not over with the delivery. The hard work was only just beginning. That's what it takes to be a mom. 
to answer your calling, that God-given calling to love and nurture her family. A godly wife works hard for her family. That's this Proverbs 31 woman. She may work hard outside of the home, but she also works hard inside of the home. Look at what it says in verse 27. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I mean, mama is the COO. She's the chief operating officer. I mean, she has the day-to-day operations. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. There is not time to be idle, not when you're a mom. There's always something else that needs to be done. There's always a, another dirty baby, another dirty toddler, another bath to take. While you're cleaning the babies, you gotta do the laundry. I mean, it never, ever ends. And here's the reality, guys. We used to think the hardest work of parenting is at this age. No, they go from this age to teenage. And then the hard work really begins. I will tell you this. If you do the hard work when they're this age, there will be less work to do when they're that age. Krista, thank you for doing the hard work throughout the course of our children growing up in our home. And I want you to see it doesn't end there. She delights in her provision. This is the godly wife, the godly woman. See, you may not be a mother, yet this gives you a template as God's desire for all women. Even if you're not a mother, it gives you an idea of what God's desire, God's design is for your life. Here's a godly woman, this virtuous wife. She's devoted to her husband. She diligently works for her family. She delights in her provision. Look at verse 16. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. This is a businesswoman. She goes out, she buys a plot of ground, she plants a vineyard, looking to get a profit, looking to make a return. Uh, She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. I want you to notice something about this woman. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds a spindle. Not only has she planted a vineyard to get a return financially, but she is making clothing. She is literally putting her hand to the spindle and she has gone into business as a tailor. I mean, she is a clothing designer. She has an enterprising mission. I want you to notice this Proverbs 31 wife is enterprising. She is entrepreneurial. She might be a career woman. She is contributing financially for her family. Now this ought to end any ancient, I'll just say historic male chauvinistic views of women that their place is in the kitchen. That's not the Proverbs 31 woman. No, she might be in the kitchen making breakfast for her family, but she's also hardworking. She might be a career woman. She might be an entrepreneur. She's enterprising. She's figuring out ways to help contribute financially to her family. I just have to say, you know, there's this kind of age-old debate in church life about, you know, well, is it okay for moms to work outside the home, and is it okay for them to have a career while they're trying to raise children in the home? And let me just say, it's both and. There's some things God leaves it to you to do for the two of you, husband and wife, to go before him and figure it out what's best for you. For me and Krista, she worked outside the home for the first four years before we had kids. I shared this last week. So we could get ahead financially and start saving a nest egg, et cetera, et cetera. And then we started having a family. She came home 
and gave up her career to raise those children. And when they got to about high school age or so, she started working outside the home again and advancing a career, and she launched her own business. And I just want you to see that it's, it's not either or. This woman is fully devoted to her family, yet she's figuring out ways to contribute financially. I mean, even if you don't have a job as a mom, you might be clipping coupons. I mean, you figured out how to save some money, right? Uh, you might be shopping the ads. You're figuring out how to contribute financially to your household, all right? You are the mover and the shaker on eBay, all right? You figured out some ways to generate some income. In my case, Krista, listen, I wouldn't be what I am apart from you. I wouldn't have what I have apart from you. A farm that we bought a few years ago that we got to enjoy and our family enjoys spending time on this land, I would have never bought it without you working hard to provide financially. And you see, that's what this Proverbs 31 woman has done. Look at verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes to the merchants. And in this case, honey, you have helped provide for our dreams, like buying the farm and having the land that we get to enjoy. And we had a goal to get our kids through college debt-free. And that was one of our goals that we had, is to somehow get them through college completely debt-free. I never would have done it by myself. You provided, and together we made a way to do that. See, that's what this woman has learned to do. She's figured out how to contribute financially. Even if she doesn't make a lot of money, she's figured out, because she's entrepreneurial, she is enterprising, uh, she is capable, competent, and she oversees in some way how to provide financially. Number four, she dresses with care. Why is this important? Because how we present ourselves outwardly should be a picture of who we are inwardly. And that's why this Proverbs 31 woman has learned to dress with care. Look at what it says in verse 22. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This is one classy lady. Now in the ancient days, listen, purple was very, very rare. I like purple, I'm wearing purple. All right, it's not hard to find something purple today. But if you lived 3,000 years ago, when Solomon was writing these words, understand purple was a color of royalty. It was that rare. It was very hard to find purple dye to dye clothing. Here is a woman, and she is one classy dresser. Now, this doesn't mean that to be a classy dressing Proverbs 31 woman, you've got to wear designer clothing and shop at high-priced you know, places that a lot of us can't afford, like you know, Saks Fifth Avenue, or I don't know, we shop at Kohl's. What would be one? Like really high-priced designer Macy's. <laughs> Nordstrom. Like if you want to shop, they're fine, but, but you don't have to do that is what I'm saying. It really has to do with simply taking care, having some intention about the way you appear. Now here's what the Bible says. Don't see as man sees, for man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. So God is always more about the heart, the inward, than he is the outer. But the reality is every single one of us get dressed in the morning with intention. No one accidentally gets dressed. And what God is teaching is we ought to take some care how we look outwardly because it's a reflection of who we are inwardly. In this case, the Proverbs 31 woman does not dress for vanity, but rather virtue. 
See, we live in a world of vanity, a society of vanity. Vanity says, look at me, I am awesome, everybody worship me, idolize me, woohoo, vanity. But the Proverbs 31 woman doesn't dress for vanity, she's dressing for virtue. She wants to dress for God's glory. She's taking care about how she looks outwardly. Why? Because it's who she is inwardly. It's a reflection of who she is inwardly. What does this mean? It means, ladies, if you want to be a godly woman, a Proverbs 31 kind of woman, you should dress in ways that accentuate your beauty but does not accentuate your sensuality. So you should dress in ways to accentuate your beauty. God made you beautiful. God put beauty in every woman. And so the Proverbs 31 woman is dressing purposely to accentuate her beauty, but not to look sexy. Why? Because sexy belongs to her husband. Nobody else. Krista, I'm thankful that you've taken care of how you dress. Not to draw attention from men for the wrong reasons. You've honored me in that way. And that's what the Proverbs 31 woman does. The principle is dressing with beauty, but doing it with modesty. Look at what it says in 1 Timothy 2.9. This is the Apostle Paul who wrote these words. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, it's not wrong for a woman to adorn herself outwardly with those things. Make yourself look pretty. Your husband will be glad that you do. If you want to braid your hair, have a fancy hairdo. Wear jewelry, makeup, all it. But what he's saying is, put as much focus on your inner beauty as you do the outer beauty. Krista, I'll never forget the first time I saw you. 17 years of age, we were juniors in high school. I'll never forget the first time I laid eyes on you. We were juniors in high school. You were walking down the hall of Ruskin High School next to the band room, holding hands with your boyfriend. <laughs> There's another story there. Let's just say I married her. And I remember what I thought. I thought to myself, that is the most beautiful human being I have ever laid eyes on. Another girl, a friend of mine, had told me about her ahead of time. Like, there's this new girl in school, and she's so pretty, and she has the most beautiful eyes. And I knew right away, that's the new girl, and she does have beautiful eyes. I mean, a thing of beauty. But listen carefully. What drew me to you is not what made me fall in love with you and keep me in love with you. It's not your outer beauty, it's your inner beauty. Ladies, what attracts a man is not what keeps a man. He will be attracted to you because of your beauty outwardly, but he will fall in love with you and stay in love with you because of your beauty inwardly. And that is the most beautiful thing about you. 30 years later, I still find you beautiful. But the most beautiful part of you is not what other people see, it's what God sees. You see, this is the inner beauty that is incorruptible, that does not fade with time. And this is what the Apostle Peter says, similar to the Apostle Paul, 1 Peter 3 and verse 3, ladies, do not let your adornment be merely outward. He says, go ahead, adorn yourself outwardly, but not merely outwardly. He says, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart 
with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. He's dealing with inner beauty, not outward beauty, the true beauty. He says, of a gentle and quiet spirit. This is the age where the world tells women, oh no, be the aggressor. I am woman, hear me roar. <laughs> Listen carefully, be strong. My wife is stronger than you think. She is a warrior, a quiet warrior, but a warrior. We have been through battles together that only God will know about besides she and me. She has been there through the hardest times of my life. And were she not strong, I might not even be here today. Ladies, be strong. God made you strong, not just beautiful, but strong. But I want you to see the real beauty here is a meek and quiet spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit. Listen, meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. And I'm thankful you see for that real beauty of my wife, that quiet spirit, that meek spirit, that humble heart God has given you is why you're more beautiful today than you were even 30 years ago. And gentlemen, you need to know that every single day we've got a mirror and we're looking at our wife, mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I strong enough at all? Am I man enough at all? And every single day our wife has a mirror and they're looking at you and me. And when they look in our eyes, it's what they see. And what they're asking is mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I beautiful enough at all? After 30 years, mirror, mirror on the wall, am I still fair enough at all? And I want you to see that eventually it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You get the person you want to be married to. If you want your wife to grow in beauty, then treat her like she is beautiful. If you want your wife to act like a treasure, then treat her like she is your most precious treasure. And what happens is they become more beautiful and even greater treasure price increasingly far above rubies. I want you to see that ultimately the secret is that she depends on God. You might be thinking, man, I can never ever aspire. Proverbs 31, that's like the perfect woman. No, she's not perfect. She's got moments along the way. Do you understand we're all works in progress? Nobody's just born this way. There's a process of sanctification. That's a big Bible word that simply means letting God begin to mold my life and make me what he wants me to be. It's a process. You don't get there overnight. But the key of this Proverbs 31 woman is that she's learned to depend on God. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Today I'm publicly praising my wife because she is a God-fearing woman. I'm glad I married a woman that fears the Lord. God is looking for some God-fearing people. Our world has lost the fear of God, and right there's the problem. You may be asking, what does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord means to put God in his proper place, like God is God and you are not. Let's just settle that up. To fear the Lord means to put God in his proper place, which means he gets to rule your life, and whose rule in your life is always right. That means to be a God-fearing person, that I fear the Lord, that, that God is sovereign over my life, and my life is not my own. 
And this is why, Krista, you have grown in 30 years of marriage to be a Proverbs 31 woman because she fears the Lord. She put God in his proper place on the throne of her heart and on the throne of our home. Now, gentlemen, I've tried to model something for you today that I hope you will go home today and do, and that is publicly praise your wife. Honor your wife. Put her on a pedestal. Some of you might be thinking, well, I don't know that I can do that because she, she at times has lacked virtue. Like I can't fully trust her. She's done me some evil. Listen carefully. In marriage, this is how it works. You can focus on the 20% about each other that you can't stand, or you can focus on the 80% about each other that you really like and really love. And I will promise if you start honoring each other and appreciating each other for the 80%, you'll find the 20%, most of it matters less and less and less. Grace, forgiveness, We've needed in 30 years of marriage more times than I can remember. I used to think, well, if you have a great marriage, you'll never have to say I'm sorry. Like, will you forgive me? Everything's always gonna be great. No, the reality is in a great marriage, you are asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness almost daily. That's the secret. Maybe today is a day to grant your spouse the grace that God granted you when he forgave you of all your sin. It's called redemption. And this is what Peter would say in 1 Peter 3, 7. This is what he says to the men. He says, husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife. This is what I've been trying to do to model for you. This is what Peter now says he wants you to do. He says, husbands, likewise. Anytime you see this word likewise in the Bible, you gotta ask like what? And if you go back to the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter three, what God says to the wives is to submit to their husbands. Now Peter says, husbands, likewise, like what? Like your wives are to submit to you, now I want you to submit to them too. It's Ephesians 5.21, mutually submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. That's how you win through mutual submission. Husbands, like I've told the wives to submit to you, now you submit to them. As they submit to your lead, I want you to submit to their need to live for their need, to dwell with them, understanding their needs. Let me ask you, do you understand your wife's needs? I didn't do this well in the early days. I was not a great husband. Boy, I thought I was. I thought I was an awesome husband. I wasn't. I really wasn't. She was a much better wife than I was a husband. I didn't understand this then. I didn't know my wife's needs. What does your wife need? Does your wife need you to help around the house? I admit, in the early days, listen, I had this unwritten, unspoken, I thought we had this agreement. I'd take care of the outside of the house, she'd take care of the inside of the house. It was unspoken because we never actually talked about it. I'll do the lawn, you do the laundry. That's what I thought. In the early days, I thought sweeping a room was with a glance. <laughs> I have learned something in 30 years of marriage, how to do this like actually vacuum, right? Real men vacuum, all right? Real men 
do the dishes, right? To serve your wife, submit to her, serve her. This is how you do this. Somebody says, well, Phil, no, that, I don't do dishes. That's, that's women's work. Listen, John Wayne, if a little soap and water is going to wash away your manliness, you need a hormone shot. Real men do the dishes. Real men do the laundry. See, it's about understanding her need. He says, submit to her, serve her, give honor to her. That means salute her. We're to salute our wives, giving them honor, a place of honor. Look at what it says, as to the weaker vessel. And here's where you know, society gets all offended today with the new modern woman. We're not the weaker vessel, how dare you? No, wait a minute. I can outbench press my wife by a long shot. Honey, I don't know that I'd want to be married to you if you could outbench press me. I don't know for sure if I would. Here's what Peter is saying. Listen, the average man is stronger than the average woman. Fact. Physically, women are weaker than men. Here's what Peter is saying. Historically, unfortunately, because of the fallen nature of sinful men, they have dominated women because women were weaker. You know what Peter is saying? Let it not be said about Christian men. Do not dominate a woman just because you're physically stronger. In fact, because she's weaker, you put her on a pedestal. Give her a place of honor in the same way if you came into possession of a piece of fine china from the Ming dynasty that's a weak vessel, it's very fragile, you wouldn't put it out where anyone could touch it, harm it. You would put it in a place and protect it. He's saying, handle her with care because she's priceless. She's priceless. He says this, as being heirs together of the grace of life. This ought to end the age-old battle of the sexes. We are heirs together. That means we either win together or we go down together. I am thankful, Krista, that we chose to win. Winning together beats losing together as heirs together of the grace of life. Listen, Luke gave you a layup, but what I'm trying to say today is it ought to be more than just one day, Mother's Day. What Peter is saying to men is every single day is Mother's Day. This is a way of life. Submit to her, serve her, salute her every day as the precious, prized, virtuous wife whose price is far above rubies. Yeah, go to have your picture taken, photo booth. Here's another layup, men. On your way out, grab one of these. It's a card. You're gonna need a pen. Don't text her how you feel. That's awesome, but this is, this is more awesome. All right. Just write a love letter. You used to do this kind of thing. Tell her what you appreciate about her. Honor her. Then lead your children to express their appreciation, their honor. Some things began to change in year 14 of our marriage. Had God not brought revival 16 years ago, I don't know for sure we'd be married. But some things began to change. 
I fully submitted my heart to him to be the Ephesians 5.25 kind of husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It was in year 14 that I finally chose the nails. I thought I had, but I hadn't. And I began to lay down my wife, lay down my life. <laughs> for my bride. All right, here's another layup. This and then this. Begin to pray with your wife. I hear something for 21 years. I hear this often from women in our church. Check it out, guys. I've never heard one woman complain, Pastor Phil, my husband is not handsome enough. Nope. I've never heard one woman say, Pastor Phil, my husband's not smart enough. Nope. Here's what I hear all the time. Pastor Phil, I wish my husband would pray with me. I wish he'd pray with me. I didn't pray with my wife consistently for 14 years. I began to pray with my wife daily in that 14th year, and everything began to change. As you pray with your wife, everything begins to change. As you pray for her and pray over her. I'll never forget years ago hearing Krista say, Honey, I, I find you more desirable than ever when we're praying together. We began to pray all the time. We prayed like over, over and over again. I mean, we prayed, 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 prayed. I dare you, try it. Guys, I want to do this right now. I want to start today. I want you to get up out of your seat, meet me at this altar. We're going to pray for our wives right now together before we leave. Come quick, would you? Pray for the women in our life. Your wives, your mothers, your daughters, as the men of God, thankful for women of God. And I'm so proud of all of you, and I know God your Father is too. Would you bow with me? Even if you can't get all the way here, it doesn't matter. God, I thank you for godly men and godly women godly mamas, godly daddies that want to raise up a godly family tree, a legacy as we sing this morning to a thousand generations. Lord, I pray for our children, our children's children and their children and their children. And we today as men of God come petitioning you on behalf of our wives, our mothers and the women that we hold dear. God, we pray for each of them that your grace would shine upon them that, Lord, you would give our wives the grace in the hard times, a double portion of your spirit, God. Would you minister to them? I pray, God, in heaven for the filling of the Holy Spirit upon us all, that we would live in the fear of the Lord, that, God, in heaven as men, we would live in submission to our wives' needs, dying daily so that our love will bleed. Lord, that we would learn to understand their needs, to dwell with them according to understanding that we will break our back and embrace the cross if that's what it takes to fulfill that need and serve them well as you served us, washing our feet, dying at Calvary, 
that, Lord, we would give them honor daily, that we would put them on a pedestal, that, God, we would put these women in a place of prominence where they deserve as heirs together of the grace of life. That one day we can leave this world with no regret, no retreat, having lived a legacy that will last eternally. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. To God be-